This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We were talking about Davios John School before the reporting began. Maybe we'll pick it up next week. It's bizarre. He's offering grants to teach prostitutes Johns about the harm they're causing, and he calls it the John School. Just makes you kind of twist your head and go, huh? It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. Laura is going to the Cleveland schools to talk about journalism, so we got to get moving. We're going to make her late. Let's begin. Why is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine declining to participate in an Ohio Debate Commission debate with his Republican challengers later this month at Central State University? Laura, I should disclose, I am on the board of the Debate Commission, so there is that disclosure. Absolutely. So Dwight's spokeswoman said he's the most publicly accessible governor in Ohio history. Constituents know where he stands on the issues. And so he doesn't need to debate Jim Renacci or Blystone or anyone who's challenging him. So he said no to this debate. And um, the debate commission says they hope he'll reconsider. Yeah, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble here because, like I said, I'm on the debate commission. But I actually, if I were Mike DeWine, I wouldn't have agreed to the debate either. I mean, Mike DeWine is a substantial person. He's been a senator. He's done all sorts of things. And the candidates running against him in the primary are kind of jokes. And if he does get on a stage with them, he gives them credibility. And I, I think if I were in his shoes, I wouldn't do it. Now, the big commission, my fellow board members, will, will send slings and arrows at me for saying that. But I just don't see any upside for Mike DeWine to do this. And like he said, he is completely public. We're going to try and do special episodes of this podcast where we talk to candidates. And I'll bet that he very willingly does it. Lisa Garvin on the editorial board, Layla, he, he met with us, what, six weeks ago, answered every question we threw at him. It's mm-hmm. not like he's inaccessible, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, true. he stood there and took questions that he didn't know what was coming for months and months. Like, what do you think? Do, do you think he do you think he's completely wrong to say no to this? I, I personally think he should do it. I mean, because if he goes into a debate with an idiot, he makes the idiot look more idiotic, <laughs> you know, and it's a way to get his his policy issues out there. Quite honestly, Layla, I don't know how big. Sorry, Layla. Go ahead, Layla. No, I no, I I think I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I see the the upshot for him. I, I think I understand why. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. He he's probably been a lot more accessible to the average Ohioan voter on Facebook Live for his wine with the wine than he would ever be in a debate. I mean, who watches them? I, I right. don't think they'd get a huge, huge viewership. And, and I, I and see wine, your point. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, and wine with the wine. I mean, that's on his terms. He gets to control the environment and the message and, you know, that sort of thing. He He's had so much exposure that has benefited him that, um, yeah. 
But on Wine with the Wine, he was asked tough, awkward questions. I mean, it's not like he... Sh- All, my point is, he doesn't shy away from answering tough questions. What he's not willing to do is stand on the stage with a candidate who's not legitimate, who has been making outrageous statements about DeWine, accusing him of all sorts of ridiculous things. I mean, we've all seen the Renacy statements. They're preposterous. So why should DeWine, who takes his job seriously, have to stand on a stage for an hour listening to that kind of nonsense from somebody who really has no chance of winning? He but doesn't participate. But I do hope that in the future, if he is the candidate, and I would assume he would be, that he would debate the Democratic candidate. Oh, I, Who I, are, I bet- by the way taking part in a debate. Yeah, I, I would be willing to bet right now he will participate in a debate against John Cranley or Nan Whaley. Look, he sat with us in his last run and pounded the table because somebody wasn't letting him speak as he was trying to, <laughs> to do it. I mean, he faces, he's not afraid to, to answer tough questions. He just doesn't want to give credibility to somebody that is not credible. <laughs> Anyway, I we'll see if he reconsiders, but I based on what they've said, I kind of doubt it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With Cuyahoga County breaking with tradition of letting property owners informally challenge their new assessments, how many have filed formal challenges at the Board of Revision? And Layla, what's the deadline for people who want to make those challenges who have not yet done so? Well, so to start with that question, the, the, the complaints have to be filed with the Board of Revision or at least postmarked by 4.30 p.m. on March 31st. So far, they've, they've received 3,907 complaints, and they're already starting to slog through them. Last year, they received 3,755, and they're coming in at a higher rate now than, than back then, obviously because valuations have increased on average by 17% in the county. And you know, the the triennial assessments were based on sales of comparables. But Ron O'Leary, who's the administrator of the Board of Revision, says that the number of complaints they've received so far this year is still not as high as they initially thought they would be. And he thinks that's because they didn't offer the informal process of challenging valuations where you basically just fill out a form and they issue a decision on your case. And this year, anyone who wants to challenge their valuation has to appear before the board and make their case and you know bring evidence and all that stuff. Having done that myself once, I can tell you it's a total pain in the butt. Well, well, and the danger is that the values have actually gone up since they did the assessment. So if you went in <laughs> with the evidence, they could look at the evidence and say, yeah, you're right. Your assessment's wrong. We're going to move it up. They can they can actually do that, I think. I don't think it's just a one-way assessment. Oh, so, that would be awful. <laughs> that would be just well, awful. But, I don't, can't, would they do that? Would they? But where you live in Bay Village and yeah. Laura, where you live in Rocky River, your property values are going up by the minute. It's so, true. You know, you're... <laughs> You're going to have a hard time saying that your assessment is inaccurate. It, so in the informal process, all you did was write a letter saying, well, I think it's unfair, and they would make a decision? Well, you know, I, I don't want to misspeak, but when I looked, you know, so I'm, that year that I did, that I went through this, I missed the deadline. <laughs> My whole life is based on deadlines, and I missed this deadline. But give me a break. I was very pregnant. I was real strong. Stressed out, which I think boded in my favor when I went in before the board and I was like eight months pregnant. Like, oh, does anyone have a chair I can sit in? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so to me, when I compared the two, I was like, oh man, if I had just made this deadline, it was so simple. You fill out a form, you say what you think your property is valued at, and you send it in. I don't even think you really need, and maybe I'm misspeaking, and I apologize for that, but it didn't seem like, it sounded like they encourage you to send in evidence of, of your claim, but really you could just say, like, this is what I think my property is worth. But then the on the other end, I had to provide all kinds of, you know, information and data from the comparables in my neighborhood and did a bunch of research and, you know, t- sending photos of my property and and trying to make the claim that, you know, we haven't we haven't done the kinds of renovations that others might have who sold their homes for more, like all that kind of stuff. And then go before and then basically lawyer it myself in front of this group of, you know, this panel and, and well, field their questions. and. Well, Carving out time in your day to go do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's. And that's an official process. I mean, because if you don't like what you get, you can take that to court and you can appeal that. Although, obviously, we've talked in the past about how Republicans would like to take that power away from people. But I did it back in the Frank Russo days of uh, county government. So and you I just, paid bribes to lower it. <laughs> you just right. brought an envelope of I cash walked, instead of... I walked into a community <laughs> meeting and they knew exactly who I was because I covered county government. And <laughs> I gave them a, a list from cleveland.com of all the properties on my street that you know Rich Exner had put together a lovely database. And I said, my house is worth $24,000 more than any other house on my street. And they were like, okay. And they red penned it and they reduced it. And that was it. Now, you, you both are doing extensive renovations to your houses now. So the next time around, I know. you're going to see your Sesame Street. I know, because they, they what supposedly are you doing? pulled. <laughs> well, actually, Laura, <laughs> I, I'm still, I'm still kind of sitting here stunned that Layla thinks we would be surprised that she would miss a deadline. <laughs> oh, snap. You better edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're listening today to Today on Ohio. Lisa, this one's for you. The new Guardian sign is going up at Progressive Field, and baseball is coming back with it. What's the good news for baseball fans in Cleveland and everywhere else? Yesterday afternoon, a collective bargaining agreement was reached, and that ends in 99-day lockout. That's the longest ever in Major League Baseball. So, batter up. MLB opening day is April 7th. The Guardians opener is April 8th in Kansas City. And then their home opener will be here in Cleveland April 15th against the San Francisco Giants. Now, those six games that were canceled that we had a homestand here will be played on off days during the season. And then they're going to extend this season by three days. So we will get all of the games on the roster this year. It's just starting a little bit later then. They're just moving it all ahead in the calendar. Right, exactly. So, are you glad to hear this? You are you are the baseball fan on this podcast. Well, I yeah, yes I am. I mean, I, I'm always disgusted when there's a lockout because it just seems that they're just fighting about money and don't care about the fans who are, you know, financing this whole, you know, enterprise. But and it's a chance for the Guardians to take the field in their new rebranded uniforms and names. So, you know, this is a big thing. Yeah, they started to put that big script sign up yesterday. I don't know how far they got, but they're... Well, they're... yeah, on WKYC last night, it was like one little piece of one letter was going up. It's going to take about six days. The sign is 81 feet wide. It's 28 feet high. It's being installed by Brilliant Electric, and they should be finished by next Wednesday or Thursday. The old Indian sign is in storage, and they're going to decide what to do with that old sign. So they didn't just take down the I-N... And put on the G. No, 
Yeah, <laughs> it would be nice, but yeah, different font. That ugly Although, Art Deco font. I, well, the I know people that similar. are gonna masking tape part of their shirts. <laughs> just oh, redo oh, them. Yeah, like like Ted. <laughs> Ted <laughs> Dieden has one. <laughs> The uh, they're able to start spring training pretty quickly, though, because the truck with all the equipment went out as usual. The coaching staff has in been February. out in Arizona. So this there's not going to be some long delay getting them out there to do some practicing before they take the field for real. So baseball will be back in Cleveland. And you're right, Lisa, it gives them a chance to roll out the new team name. Uh, which has been controversial, but they if they turn it into the positive, it should be. This could be a good year for them. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What have the ramifications of the pandemic puppy boom been for pen owners in Northeast Ohio? Laura, I felt these ramifications big time as we were dealing with our dog's malady over the past six months. Yeah, absolutely. There is not enough supply and some employees are burnt out even even of taking care of adorable dogs. The wait times are longer at vets, doggy daycares, pet grooming places. The number of appointments is up and even prescriptions for separation anxiety are skyrocketing. And these are big numbers. The ASPCA said about like 20% of American households, about 23 million of us adopted a dog or cat during the COVID pandemic. Think about that. I mean, that is a huge number, an increase of dogs. And uh, 90% of dog owners and 85% of cat o- adopters have kept them. So that just that just adds all of these dogs to places they're probably, I don't know that there's been an increase of places that take care of the dogs. No, they're, they're, that's the tough thing. There's not more veterinarians. And if you need a specialist like we did, we needed dog oncologists and things. They're they're booked up. I mean, it just takes a long time to get in. You don't get the call and make an appointment a week later. It's taking a long time because they're just so busy with all the pets yeah. they have. There's this uh, agency, or I guess organization, Process Canine in Shaker Heights. You have to go in for a tryout before you can become a regular for their doggy daycare. They have openings uh, in 12 <laughs> months. So, you know, it's like daycare. Like, you got to put your name on the list for some daycares before you get pregnant. Like, if you're going to get a puppy, get your name on the list. Um, at the What, what, what I, are they What are they doing the tryout? Like, did, did you say sit, and if they don't sit, you're no, out? No, you just bring in your dog, and I've done it with ours, just to make sure that they don't, like, you know, bite other dogs or they're not causing mayhem. They just want to make sure that they're not, I guess, giant jerks when they go to daycare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other animal hospitals are seeing puppy visits increase by 200% in 2020. And then um, it, it wasn't quite as pronounced last year, but up 100% in 2021 compared to 2019. So, yeah, it's just a huge number. And, you know, our, our dog died at the beginning of the pandemic, and then we did get our pandemic puppy. So I, I'm right there with you. He is, like never really been alone he's gone to the you know the uh, uh, kennel for some vacations but every day this dog just sits under my desk or with my husband and he's no idea how good his life is man i know the dogs really have really gotten the best of this they have gotten constant companionship check out the story on cleveland.com you're listening to today in ohio Why is Eliza Bryant Village in Cleveland, the oldest nursing home serving black residents, closing its doors after 126 years? This is really a sad story for a Cleveland neighborhood. It is. Eliza Bryant Village announced Thursday that it's going to close its 99-bed skilled nursing facility effective June 8th. 
This nursing home describes itself as the oldest continually operating African-American-founded long-term care facility in the U.S. It was incorporated in 1896, and it was named after Eliza Bryant, who was born into slavery in North Carolina. They've been at their current location on Wade Park since 1984. But President and CEO Danny Williams said that their business model is just unsustainable. The costs have skyrocketed, admissions have fallen, Medicaid subsidies have, have really failed to keep up with the soaring care expenses, and and the COVID-19 pandemic have all just really shaken their finances. And they'll continue to operate other services like the affordable senior uh, senior housing, home care, senior outreach, adult day services, things like that. And they'll offer their staff incentives if they agree to stay at the nursing home until you know these 90 days are up. But they're going to end up laying off almost 100 people. And then, of course, you know, there's the question of you know where do the residents and the patients end up going? Right. They'll have to be rehoused. Right. What, I mean, what do you do? It's it's another one of those things where it's it's a underserved community that's going to be underserved at an even greater level. The councilwoman out there, yeah. Stephanie, uh, uh, how do you pronounce her name? House. House. Um, it was is she, she? There's nothing they can do. Basically, right. she said, "This is really sad, and we hope that they're going to take care of the residents." Yeah. But I mean, apparently, the nursing home's financial situation has been kind of tenuous for some time now. Uh, Stephanie House said that City Council gave them a $1.85 million loan in 2018. So there's an indication there that they have, you know, fragile financial situation. And it has been like that for some time. And she did say she's hopeful that things might change for them uh, and that they can again one day reopen the nursing home. But uh, I mean, if it's been that that far coming and uh, they're under the pressure that they are, it doesn't sound hopeful. No, it's a loss. It's a big loss. I was surprised to see that story yesterday. It's today in Ohio. Lisa, I don't know if you've noticed, but I take advantage of your long history as a radio broadcaster <laughs> by giving you all the most complicated questions to answer. <laughs> so here's, the, here's, the, here's another one. What happens next after a recently retired Cuyahoga County judge says he mistakenly granted an imprisoned man a new trial on attempted murder charges when he actually intended to reject the request to set upside the man's guilty plea? How does this happen and what happens next? He's like, oops, yeah, Common Pleas Judge Dick Ambrose retired on December 31st of last year, but on December 8th, he signed a motion, granted a motion, to dismiss a guilty plea for Charles Jackson, who's been in prison since 2019 for attempted murder, and he... Now that he's retired, he can't rescind this order. It was a mistake because Ambrose and his bailiff signed a sworn affidavit saying he meant to deny Jackson's plea. And so County Prosecutor Mike O'Malley filed a motion to have his successor, uh, Ambrose's successor on the bench, Mark Mayer, to undo this order. I don't know if that's possible, though, Chris, because of what Jackson's new attorney says. Well, think about it. If you're the guy... And you've gotten the judge to sign that you could set aside your guilty plea and get the new trial. It seems really unfair to to lose that. I mean, it seems like the, the way to rectify the mistake is to go through the process of trying them again. I, I would expect this would be an appellate mess if Mike O'Malley is successful here. 
Well, and apparently, yeah, Jackson's new attorney, uh, jo- Joseph Patitucci, filed a motion on Tuesday and says that the assistant prosecutor, Gregory Ochaki, failed to monitor the docket, and so they missed this mistaken order, and they missed an appeal deadline. And Patitucci further said that Meyer is, quote, not required to rescue the state from its own gross negligence, unquote. Now, we must point out that Ochaki, the assistant prosecutor, has been disciplined, and it's said that he did drop the ball. All right. So, but why should the guy at the center of the case be the one that suffers? The judge screwed up. The prosecutor screwed up. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the way to fix this is to move forward, not try and reverse the decision because appellate courts probably will look at that unfavorably. It's a fascinating story by Corey Schaefer. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Layla, you covered courts for a while. This was a weird one, right? Yeah, I'm actually really surprised because Judge Ambrose is like such a... I mean, he is a stickler, man. Like, he, he's the judge who was on the Anthony Sowell trial, and I don't know that I'd ever seen a judge with such, um, you know, just a, what's a, what am I trying to say here? He's just so uh, details-oriented, <laughs> you know? He ran that courtroom, like, you know, just by the book, and to, it, I just am stunned that, that he would make this sort of error, yeah, yeah. But you know, it was he was a couple weeks from the end of his career. He True. probably was trying to clear his desk. You know, I, I, I it was surely an honest mistake. Oh, of unfortunately. course, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, the consequences are not great. Yeah, it's a it's a good story to read. It's today in Ohio. How did Republicans in the Ohio legislature get past the Democratic opposition and pass a law that goes into effect immediately to change voting rules for the military? Laura, you need a whole lot more votes when you want a law to take place immediately, and the Democrats were not giving them the votes they needed. They found a loophole. Yeah, I find this absolutely maddening. They just added some money, tacked it onto an existing bill, and sent it on their way so they could do whatever they want. Uh, This is separate from a different bill we wrote about yesterday, that $9 million the governor just signed to pay for overtime costs for the election, which they could have avoided all of this rigmarole if they just pushed back the deadline. But basically, Republicans said, okay, we don't have the supermajority we need. We're going to add $200,000 in funding and tack it on to an unrelated bill that included, like, designating the week of February 7th next year, I guess, as Congenital Heart Defect Awareness Week. Yeah, and the the loophole is if the bill contains money, you you don't need the supermajority? Is that, the, is that how they did it? Yes, you can take uh, immediately take an effect with a simple majority vote if it includes money. But it, it just... I mean, I know this is how they they work in Columbus. That doesn't stop me from getting angry about it. Well, doesn't Ohio still have a law that says legislation much must be single purpose? Right. No Christmas tree bills. And so they did yeah. debate this on the floor. They added they questioned whether it's constitutional because the Supreme Court has found they can't simply add a spending measure to a controversy bill to bypass the emergency requirement. But they basically said, yep, we can do it. They pointed to a case from the 90s that supported their move. And I love this. Senator Teresa Gavarone, she's from Toledo, a Republican, said the bill that passed on Wednesday is not complicated. She accused the Democrats of playing political games. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
That was Destination Cleveland trying to stop the population decline in Greater Cleveland. Layla, Destination Cleveland's the big tourist agency. Its goal forever has been to bring visitors here, but in recent years they've talked about using their muscle to bring new residents here. Yeah. So the 2020 census showed us that the population in our county and, and six surrounding counties that is at 2.8 million, and that's down slightly from 20 years ago. But the U.S. as a whole, meanwhile, has continued to increase in population during those 20 years by 18%. So obviously something's not working here in Cuyahoga County. So Destination Cleveland, along with 10 other public and private organizations, announced Thursday morning that it's going to seek to hire a director of this new initiative that they're calling the Ta- the Cleveland Talent Alliance. And the goal for whoever gets picked for this position is to boost Northeast Ohio's population. Piece of cake, right? What's so hard about that? <laughs> and the wow. new director is going to work for Destination Cleveland, but the alliance is the product of this real broad coalition of organizations. They've all been working independently on this issue to attract talent. Uh, and and grow the population. But they've been doing it on their own in silos. And this is going to bring them together. It's the Greater Cleveland Partnership, Cleveland Leadership Center, Team Neo, Engage Cleveland and and some others. Um, So this this it's an effort that's going to target three economic sectors to begin healthcare, smart manufacturing, and information technology, because there are already established efforts focused on those fields. And then they're going to focus on a core group of potential residents, which includes students coming to Northeast Ohio for college, business and leisure visitors to the region, and people who moved away but might be interested in coming back, because research shows that people who have been to Cleveland before are much more likely to consider returning here to live. Well, like we take me. advantage of that all, all the time when we try to hire people is bring people home because everybody who who grew up in Cleveland and leaves yeah. realizes what a great place it is. I'm well, not a native Cleveland. They have family right. here. Yeah, right. Right. And I'm a, you know, I'm a native Clevelander. I lived in Houston for 38 years, probably the third largest city in the U.S., a lot of money there, but I came home to Cleveland. And let me tell you, Cleveland is positioned for climate change, a exactly. future in climate change. We're, we're sitting on a huge body of fresh water. We don't have like floods and hurricanes and other weather issues that like Houston has. So I think once people start realizing and climate change, people are going to start migrating, you know, away from the coast as climate change gets worse. Where are they going to come? Probably Northeast Ohio, I would think. I completely agree with you. I I couldn't wait to leave Ohio after I graduated from college. And I, I, you know, I went to Illinois and Indiana and then I moved to New York City for a year and I was like, oh my God, I need to come home. So I was so happy to move back to Cleveland. And I, mm-hmm. I always tell people, you know, that we're interviewing for jobs or who are interested that I don't really think Cleveland is the most interesting place to visit. I mean, sorry, Destination Cleveland, but it is a wonderful place to live. I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Later. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, it's the the climate change argument I think is is perhaps our strongest argument. And it's funny cuz I talk to my kids about this all the time. I mean, especially I've got one kid who's a catastrophizer and and is very concerned about extreme weather, and so we talk about it a lot. I'm like, "You're lucky. You live in this part of the country where a lot of these things are not going to befall us. We're we're in great shape." And I think we should we should play upon that. Everyone is concerned mm-hmm. about about that. And look at, I mean, California, once the most coveted place to live, is on fire most of the year. Come to Cleveland. I mean, that right. should and be I, our, our biggest marketing point. 
right. and we have a really low cost of living. I mean, if mm-hmm. you want to buy a nice house, like you're never going to, I mean, it's hard to afford it in California. It's hard to afford it in New York. New but, York. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have friends that were, they were trying to move back to Cleveland because they got jobs they thought could be completely remote. And so they picked Cleveland out of no, you know, anywhere because of the mm-hmm. cost of living and the quality of living. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let, 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 let me put a damper on this a little bit, though. I am the outsider who grew up <laughs> on the East Coast and moved here and, and love living here. But as I think about where to retire, there are two, and I hear this from our readers, the same thing. There are two things that are growing concerns. One is the taxes we pay here are ridiculous. We pay every tax I've ever heard of, uh, and the government is fat and wasteful. I mean, we talk about it all the time. The second thing is the way the legislature is turning this state into a lunatic asylum that you don't want to be a part of. I mean, I've, I've heard from people that say, I've lived my whole life in Ohio, I'm leaving because I don't want to live in a state that is going in the direction this one is, you know, when you talk about the CRT issues and the abortion issues, we are becoming a fringe, ridiculously right-wing state instead of the centrist state Ohio has always been known for. I'm not sure if I were living outside Ohio now, I would move here. Well, you know, as well, Gandhi have... said, be the change you want to see, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, because, you know, I, you know, growing up in Cuyahoga County, it, it, it was and still is to a point a Democratic enclave. But I never realized until I came back, because I moved away right after I graduated from college. So my entire adult life was in Houston. But I didn't realize it just over the Geauga County line is like it's like Trump country over there. I didn't realize that, you know, that, that the Cuyahoga County area is kind of surrounded by you know very conservative people yeah Yeah, and I think it has changed since my childhood I was you know I always thought of Ohio as a purple state and then the last Mm -hmm. what six years it's been like oh it's like fire engine red (laughs) well no but it's not the problem is is in the cities it's very blue and now we have rural overlords that are dictating policies that nobody in Cuyahoga County or Hamilton County or Franklin County agrees with. And that that's a problem when you don't. That's why we got to we got to secede, Chris. We got to be the 51st. Well, and and gerrymandering. I mean, that's this is also a product of gerrymandering and super majorities. Mm -hmm. But all I'm saying is there there is so much here that's great. the, The weather actually is pretty great, except in January and February and the park system and the recreation and the availability of all sorts of of, uh, entertainment. But those two things, taxes and the ridiculous right wing move of the legislature are scary. And if I were graduating college elsewhere and offered a job here or in Minneapolis, where the Mayo Clinic is, I'd go to Minneapolis at this point because I would be worried about which direction the state is going in. You know, it's colder there, right? (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's more snow all right well, it's so, today so note note to destination cleveland do not hire chris quinn as your <laughs> also, recruiter no do, no actually interesting layla i'm the one who came from out of town and stayed i made the choice i'm not some you came from jersey <laughs> no 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 i actually new jersey's a no, great I'm state from a, you came there, from florida there's an ocean there <laughs> i came from orlando which a lot of people 
people love. And I also live Delaware and Pennsylvania. I've lived in a bunch of places, well, and I, this is my favorite. I do think that Destination Cleveland could take note of that, and it'd be interesting that not just talking about quality of life and what you can get in Cleveland, but taking on that issue of what the state house has done. And maybe Destination should be joining the fight against gerrymandering. Ooh, that's right. It is in their interest to fight against that nonsense because that is, Chris is right. It is one of the biggest mm-hmm. impediments to attracting people to come here. Look, Take if you that, were LG- Chamber of Commerce. If you were gay or LGBTQ, would you want to come here or would you go to a state where you're much more welcome? There's so many there's so many parts of our society that are closing off. This rural overlord thing going on is going to keep people from coming to Ohio cities. It's got to stop. And if we don't stop it, people will leave. And again, I'm not sure where I'll retire. I don't know that I'm going to stay because I don't want to be a part of a state that is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, this is Ohio is always known for its basic common sense. The John Glenn's, the George Voinovich's, the, the centrists that, you know, do things with sanity we're moving way away from that. Yeah, and but where would you retire, Chris? Where would you retire? Not Florida. Maybe, not no, California. Maybe, no, no, I don't. I, I'm not a warm weather guy. Maybe Michigan. You know, I think oh. Michigan is probably. Well, you a little got more family even. there. Yeah, it's a little more even than here, or I don't know, Italy. <laughs> 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 You're listening to today in Ohio, and that is it for a robust conversation on a Friday. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Lisa. Please come back on Monday and listen to another discussion of the news.